Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I was looking back at my notes this week, uh, back to, I think it was 2013, and I had spoken on Father's Day. Um, and I, I felt inadequate to speak that day, and uh, I feel more inadequate today. So um, we actually, uh, we're not going to talk about fathers today. <laughs> um, but no, uh, happy Father's Day to all those out there. Um, I was also asked to give a, uh, just a brief rundown on the VBS week. Um, we had a, a tremendous time with the kids. Uh, the, theme, the theme was uh, like a farm, farm theme, um, a bunch of hay. I think there's, we got it all vacuumed up, but there was a lot of hay in here. And um, we had chickens and uh, the, high, the high of the week was 112, not the temperature, but uh, the, the kids. We had 112 kids on Tuesday and um, the kids were really good this year. Um, really no behavior issues. Um, we had a great time with the games. Um, we only uh, called the fire department once, um, and, uh, and which was actually true. They, they came out. One of the girls fainted. But um, it's interesting when you're running a, a kids program and one of the kids gets sick or hurt and you have to call the fire department, you're always worried that the parents aren't going to come and just you know, chew you out a little bit. And uh, this parent came, um, was extremely apologetic that we had to do all this for his daughter and that he even came back the next day with his daughter and brought us refreshments um, to, to apologize. So um, that just shows you the heart of these people uh, that are bringing their children out. But um, throughout the week, um, we saw two kids come to know the Lord, uh, put their faith and trust in, in, in Jesus Christ. And we had one kid who was kind of uh, unsure, and uh, he, he received that assurance. So um, I would like to thank all those that um, prayed. Um, this, this VBS was carried on the back of prayer for sure. And then all those that just spent hours and hours and hours uh, prepping and then serving uh, at VBS. Uh, it was a real blessing and a joy to, to serve and, and be a part of that. Um, if you can, turn in your Bibles to the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum. <clears throat> uh, we took uh, four, uh, four messages and we went through the book of Jonah, um, and it took us a while. But uh, uh, I'd like to follow up with the book of Nahum. Uh, Nahum is a, is a great sequel um, to the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger. Um, in chapter 4, uh, we, don't, we don't know um, what happened to Jonah. Uh, did, he, did he finally turn around, did he, um, or did he stay in his, his um, angry ways? Um, but we're also, uh, in the book of Nahum, we're given um, what the outcome of that uh, city of Nineveh was. Uh, if you can remember in the book of Jonah, um, this, this message was given to a wicked city, um, and Jonah didn't want to deliver that message. Um, and we know why in chapter 4, and Jonah uh, says because he knew that God was a gracious and merciful and loving um, God and that he was slow to anger, and that um, if, if given the chance, he knew that Nineveh would repent, um, because, and, and God wouldn't punish them because God is so good. So what we have in the book of Nahum is the follow-up, and this is probably the message that Jonah wanted to give. Um, the book of Nahum uh, is a prophecy against the city of uh, Nineveh, and it's a, a condemnation, um, and, and uh, it's a prophecy of judgment that was to come. And this is what Jonah wanted to deliver. If God would have told Jonah 
go tell Nineveh that I'm going to destroy them, he would have skipped the fish, skipped the boat. He would have just went straight there and told them that they were doomed. Um, but we see, we see other things happen in the book of Jonah. Uh, this book of Nahum was written or was, or was prophesied approximately 100 years after the book of Jonah. Um, the, some scholars have tried to tie down a date. Um, we're not given too, much, too many details in this book as far as um, when it took place. Um, there's two time periods that are given, and, and we know that this book is nestled in between those two time periods. So it's, it's approximately 100 years after uh, the book of Jonah. And if you can remember in the book of Jonah, um, the, the chapter, the book closes with God posing a question to Jonah. And he asks, should I not have mercy on these 120,000 um, children who cannot discern between the right hand and their left? And then the book ends. Well, here we have these 120,000 children and, and 100 years later, um, and this generation is now grown up. And we see that they have, re they have returned to their wicked ways, as we'll, as we'll read in, in, uh, in a second. So let's just read uh, Nahum chapter 1, and we'll read the whole of the chapter. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. He is, he, reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What, do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus saith the Lord, Though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down. When he passes through, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off this yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods I will cut off the carved images and the molded images. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings and proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Let's just look to the Lord one more time. Uh, Heavenly Father, again, we just want to thank you uh, for this privilege and opportunity to open your word. Uh, Father, we thank you for the power that your word contains. And Father, we thank you for what your word 
uh, reveals to us of you and your character. And Father, we just pray now as we open it that your spirit would lead and guide and that you would open our eyes uh, to uh, what you have uh, set before us. We pray this all in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So what would be the purpose of the book of Nahum? Well, like we said, the purpose, uh, that there was a, this was a follow-up prophecy um, to the book of Jonah. But in this book, there's revealed attributes and the character of God and his hatred of sin. Um, uh, this book, at the same time, uh, is a judgment to Nineveh, is also a comfort to Israel. Uh, because no longer will they be um, um, persecuted by this, this, evil, this evil nation. And it's also, and, and, and this we'll see at the very end, um, as, as we've thought of those 120,000 kids that grew up and turned back to their wicked ways, um, we're reminded that um, like great awakenings and revivals are only, um, only last for a generation. Um, each generation has to make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and you cannot ride on the coattails of your parents or your grandparents um, or, or great-grandparents. So as we open this book in, in, in verse 1, it says that the burden, this burden was against Nineveh. This prophecy or this oracle was against Nineveh. We're not given much about who Nahum was. Um, we know a lot about Nineveh just based on uh, reading Jonah and some other portions of Scripture. But Nahum kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, and uh, we see this in several uh, minor prophets and even in some major prophets. Um, uh, we see this in the life of Elijah. Elijah just kind of shows up on scene one day. Um, and, and the point of this is that God doesn't want us to focus on the messenger. He wants us to focus on the message. So what is the message that he is given? Well, this, this, uh, we are given the town that Nahum is from and it's Elkish. Um, or he was an Elkishite. Um, there's several debates on to where this town is. Um, some believe that it, it could have been in the north, um, and so this, he would have been a, a descendant affected by the exile of the Assyrians. He would have been, uh, his family would have been led captive a couple years before. Um, and then others believe the book, uh, or the word Nahum, uh, there's a town that we're all familiar with on the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum, and it means town of Nahum. So a lot of people think that perhaps this is where Nahum was from. But the word Nahum means comforter. Um, that's, that's, that's the root of the word. Uh, this was not a comforting message to Nineveh. Uh, this was a message of judgment and of destruction and of the wrath of God. Um, but, like we've said, this was, this was a comfort to the people of Israel. Um, and and um, so we'll, we'll get into it. In verse 2, um, we are given, and, and God it reveals who he is, and he gives us some attributes to, of, of him. And it says, God is jealous. God is jealous. Um, this, this, uh, this phrase is also um, one of his names. Um, in Exodus thirty-four fourteen, it says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Um, jealousy today in our culture is looked down upon. Um, uh, sometimes people um, are, are proud um, that their husband or their wife is not jealous, um, and, and they're praised for not being jealous. Um, 
But jealousy is not sin, um, because God is not sin, and he cannot sin. So the very, the very act of being jealous is not sin, but it's, the, it's what you do, and, and if you act upon that jealousy in a negative way. Um, God is a jealous God, and it would cause us to ask ourselves, what is he jealous of? Well, in Ezekiel um, 39:25, we read that, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. Um, God is jealous of his name. Um, uh, and he, he doesn't like and, and he hates um, when his name is used in vain um, and when his name is mocked. Um, he is jealous of his name. And it's okay for us to be jealous of God's name um, when we hear his name thrown about um, in, in, in such a degrading and disrespectful manner. It's okay for us to be jealous of that. Um, it's not okay to us, for us to act in a sinful way when we hear his name. Um, but um, it, it is okay to be jealous of that. He's also jealous of his worship. And this is probably what we were all thinking of. In Exodus 20, and verse 5, we're given the Ten Commandments. And he says, you shall not bow down to them. Um, these are the false gods. Nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He's jealous of, of worship. Um, he designed each and every one of us to be worshipers. Um, we were created to worship, and, and we see this in, in, in the world today. Um, you go to the, the deepest, darkest jungle um, of, with no human or outside civilized contact, and they're worshiping something. Um, who told them to worship? Uh, nobody. Um, so everybody is designed and wired to worship, and we were designed and wired to worship God. Um, and he is jealous of that. He's jealous of our worship. And um, it, it got me thinking of God being jealous. And um, would he be jealous of anything that's in our lives today? We often hear that anything that's lifted up um, uh, too high um, and, and, and put in front of God is considered an idol. Um, things like, things that are good things, things that aren't sin, um, a, a job, a relationship, um, school, um, things that we, we deem more important and, and, and put first in our lives. Um, is God jealous of these things? Is God jealous of the time and, and our passion for these things? Does he want that for himself? Um, so God is a jealous God. And um, what flows from that jealous is, jealously is, it says, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges. Um, this isn't your job to avenge. Um, it's, it's God's job to avenge. Um, he is the one that passes out this vengeance. And um, looking up what vengeance means, it's, it's a punishment that's inflicted in relation for an offense. It's a punishment inflicted in relation so, uh, of an offense. Um, the, the, the Ninevites repented from their sin. They repented from their wicked ways. They turned to God from their sin, and God spared them. Well, now they have turned back, as we're going to see, and they've picked up those, those false gods. They've picked up that evil, wicked um, things that their great-grandparents used to do, and they have turned back to them. And, and God is going to pour out vengeance for these things. And, and in this, nestled in this verse, it, we, we see that the Lord is uh, 
the Lord avenges and is furious, and the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. He is the one that carries this out. Um, but nestled in this verse, we have this phrase, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Um, that's an interesting phrase. Um, he reserves wrath for his, for his enemies. Um, that word reserves means to, to bear or hold a grudge. Um, and he bears and holds a grudge for his enemies. Now, for us, this sounds wrong. Uh, we, we shouldn't hold grudges. Um, we, shouldn't, um, we shouldn't reserve wrath for, for our enemies. He reserves wrath for, for those offenses. Well, it would cause people to say, and this is what the world says today, well, why can't God just forgive them again? Or why can't God just forgive them? You know, he's, he's a forgiving God. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow. Uh, uh, he's he's, he's long-suffering, as we're going to see in a few verses. Why can't God forgive him again? <clears throat> and it's, it, it isn't, and it, isn't it wrong, we would say, isn't it wrong to hold a grudge? Well, this flows right into verse 3. It says that the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. He's slow to anger. Um, he doesn't, he's not one to fly off the handle. Um, how slow is his anger? Well, in this case, it's, it's 100 years. It's lasted 100 years of his patience and waiting and giving them an opportunity to turn back, to repent. Um, he's slow to anger and patiently waits for us, and he's great in power. And this is demonstrated throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that he is great and mighty in power. And we're even, in, the, in a few verses, going to see um, demonstrations of that um, and, and what he associates God's power with uh, using nature. Um, but here we see this phrase, and he will not at all acquit the wicked. He reserves wrath for his enemies. That those sins that were committed against him, he cannot, uh, that, that sin cannot go unpunished. All sin has to be punished. Um, in, in the NASB, it says, he, leave, he, can't, he cannot leave the guilty unpunished. Um, he must punish sin. Every sin must be paid for. So we look at the book of Jonah. Well, what about that? Um, the book of Jonah, all this, this wrath that they had built up, they had done all these wicked things. Um, we, we, rewinding like probably a year ago now, um, we talked about how wicked these people were. They would um, bury people in the desert up to their necks and allow them just to go crazy in the desert before they die. Um, after a, a victory, a battle victory, uh, they would skin uh, their, uh, their uh, victims and then they would drape the skin over the tents. Um, and uh, they also had this trademark of uh, cutting off the victims' heads and piling them up um, nice and high for all to see. Wicked people, wicked people. Even in this time of, of brutality and, and, and violence, the, every, all the other nations looked to Nineveh and said that, that the Assyrians and said that they were a wicked people. Um, so what about, what about Jonah? How, why were they able to turn and repent? When Christ came, and, and, and we look at this in the book of Mark, um, he preached a simple gospel in, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your wicked ways. Um, turn to God from your sin and believe what God says. And, and this is what the, children, uh, the, the, the people of Nineveh did in the book of Jonah. They turned, they repented, and God re, uh, relented or did not punish them for their sin. 
but God is a just God, and these sins have to be paid for. Um, and so uh, people say today, well, you know, um, God can just overlook it, or he can just, um, you know, let me in into heaven. Um, but every single sin has to be paid for. And uh, we're going to look at this in a few verses, but every single sin, and as remembered this morning in the breaking of bread, every single sin on the face of this earth was paid for. Um, all the wrath, all the judgment was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If you believe that his death, the wrath that was poured out on him paid for your sins, you can be saved. Um, so, so sin was punished. Um, but as, as we've been going door to door um, and, and telling people in Claremont, um, you have a choice. Um, you, can, you can pay for your sin if you want to. Um, and you can spend an eternity separated from him in hell, or you can receive the payment that has already been given for you and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. So in verse 3, um, and in the second part of verse 3, we, we open up this, this revelation of God and his character and his attributes, and he uses the power of nature uh, to, to, to remind us of these things. And it, what it does, it, it, it gives us a tangible... Um, thing to look at and to compare God to. Obviously, we know that God is so much bigger, so much greater than these things, but it does help us to kind of conceptualize who God is and his character. So in, in uh, the, the second part of verse 3, it says, the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And I was just um, out of curiosity. I looked at what the biggest whirlwind ever recorded in history was. And it was actually in Bangladesh in 1989, um, which is not that long ago. And in this one whirlwind, this one tornado type of a, of a, a storm, uh, 1,300 people were killed in just one, one whirlwind. Um, and it says the Lord has his way in the whirlwind. And what we see and, and what is time and time again revealed to us in the book of Nahum is God's power. He is powerful. Um, there, there, you cannot stand God's power. Um, in your sin. And this is what Nineveh was doing. Um, the second one was this storm. He has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And I looked at what was the, the biggest, most deadly storm in history. And again, in Bangladesh in 1970, um, uh, this one storm killed 500,000 people um, in one storm. What power um, and, and, and this is just natural causes. And just think how much bigger and how much greater God is. Um, on Monday nights, we've been uh, studying the book of Revelation and just considering this judgment that's going to be poured out on this world. And it's, it's, it's um, amazing and heartbreaking all at the same time uh, to think of all those people that are, that are lost and that have rejected God and, and are going to uh, go through that. Um, but as we continue, it says, the clouds are the dust of his feet. Um, some have uh, been up to uh, Wyoming, and Wyoming and Montana and, and some of these, these uh, the plain states, you just get kind of taken aback by the, the, just the vastness of the big blue sky. Um, when there's no mountains to look at and all it is is blue, um, there's, a, there's something that we tell Shane a lot, because Shane, we all know that he moved to North Dakota. And we said that uh, North Dakota is the only place where you can watch your dog run away um, for two weeks. It just, it just keeps going. It's just so, so big. Um, the ground is so flat that the, the sky feels so big. And, and if you think of these, these 
um, uh, these clouds that come in pushed by these high and low pressures and you see how big and massive these big white billowing clouds and then you think that those clouds are the dust particles of his footsteps. Um, how big is God? And again, these are just a tangible way for us to, 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 to look at who, who God is and how powerful he is. In verse 4 it says, He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Um, he rebukes the sea. Um, he has power over the sea. Um, we think of, of and, and our, all of our thoughts are going to uh, Mark chapter 4, um, and those disciples in a boat with uh, the Lord Jesus asleep in the bottom, and they're, they're scared. Um, the, the, the Mark chapter 4 paints this picture that like the next wave was just going to take them out, and, and they're afraid. And the big thing about that whole portion is the Lord Jesus, as they're getting into the boat, says, let's go to the other side. Um, that should have sealed it for them. You know, God said it, you know, that's, that, that, that seals it. Um, but they allowed the circumstances of that storm to uh, shrink their faith. Um, they focused more on the water and the waves and the wind than on the one who was sitting in their boat. And, and um, the Lord Jesus stands and, and, and rebukes the sea, and, it, and it's calm. Um, those of us that have been on the sea, and I shared a story of the, the choppy sea we went through on that fishing trip, um, that seas just don't go flat. It takes several hours, sometimes even several days, for it just to calm down and settle down. Um, but when Jesus spoke, he, he rebuked the sea, and it laid flat. And then as, as he dries up all the rivers, um, we think of um, uh, Joshua and crossing the Jordan, and just um, being able to um, stand on this, this giant river um, and, and to, be, to be able to stand on dry ground and walk through the river as the river is dried and the, the, the seas are parted. Um, he rebukes uh, the seas and dries up all the rivers um, just by, his, by what he says. Now, it's interesting. We're, we're given three places in the end of uh, verse 4. It says, Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. Um, I've never been there. Uh, I would love to go over and visit all these places um, to, to kind of put a, a, a name to a place but, um, or, or a face to a place. But uh, these places are known for their, um, their, their fruitfulness. Um, if, if you look in, in Micah 7, um, Bashan is known for its lush pastures. Um, and in um, uh, Song of Solomon uh, chapter 5, or Song of Solomon 7 verse 5, um, Carmel is, is known or is given for its fruitfulness as an example. And then Lebanon, I think all of us, uh, our thoughts are going to those, those giant cedars of Lebanon that are uh, quoted throughout scripture. Um, so it's known for its fruitfulness and its abundance. And it says, these places wither, they wilt um, by the power of God. Um, now the next, ne next verse in, in, in chapter 5, continuing with this power that he has, I mean verse 5, it's, uh, it says, the mountains quake before him, and the hills melt, um, and uh, the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Um, and just thinking of the power in, in earthquakes. Um, we just recently had one. I believe it was centered just not too far from here, and I think it was like a 5.2. Um, I slept right through it. I think, I think it happened at night or in the early morning, and I'll, I'll never wake up to an earthquake. Um, I tell everybody that, you know, if the rapture happens at night, 
um, and I'm asleep, um, I'm going to be in heaven probably half an hour before I realize what's going on. Um, I just, I'm such a sound sleeper. Um, the babies are crying. I think they all sleep through the night, but Tori tells me otherwise. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it, this was a 5.2 earthquake, fairly, fairly big on the Richter scale. And, and when you think of what an earthquake is, it's two just tectonic plates just kind of budging against each other and bumping into each other. We obviously you know sometimes it's, it's due to volcanic eruptions and other things, but um, it says that the mountains quake before him and, and uh, they, they, they tremble at him. Uh, and what I thought was interesting, and we were actually noting this in Bible study a few weeks ago, um, uh, continuing to study Revelation, and, and to note the, the, um, the connection between an earthquake and judgment, and when judgment's poured out. Um, and if you think of uh, Korah in, in Numbers chapter 16, um, he, he was trying to incite this rebellion against Moses and Aaron and, and